Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests, and that's Green Left Weekly. It's the people's voice, committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movements. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. Good morning, listeners. You're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, and in the, in the studio, we have Jacob and Megan. Good morning, everyone. Hi. Um, I guess before um, we start, I'd like to acknowledge um, that FreeCR today is being broadcast to you from the wandry land of the Kulin Nation. Um, I'd like to pay our respect um, to elders past and present, um, and that this always was, um, always will be um, Aboriginal land. All right, so, um, Megan, do you have any sort of news you want to start off the show with? Um, uh, yeah, actually. Um, so, um, the, this is um, a news article. Um, apparently, um, Zelenach has been arrested at the Jaburung Embassy location, um, this is uh, new. It happened yesterday. We don't exactly know what's happening at the moment, but um, some reports are saying that uh, he it, the, the arrest is apparently for theft, but the media is not reporting on what it is. Mm. Um, I have had some unconfirmed reports that it is for uh, some pallets that he um, he took, but apparently the pallets were for free, and the owner actually said that. So we mm. don't we don't know that that's confirmed. Mm. Uh, it does seem to be a little bit inappropriate the response, the police response that's happened, um, yeah. and we'll keep up. Well, with I think I think I guess the context is that um, he, he has been one of the leading kind of protesters um, at the Jabberon Embassy um, tent camp um, in the, the um, in the ongoing campaign to defend the secretaries, and I think the, it's um, this isn't actually the first time he has. Um, been arrested, um, and I think it's clear um, that he's been deliberately targeted because of his leading um, his leading role in the um, Jabberon Embassy. Yeah. Um, and I think it also um, to give a bit of an update on that. Um, that is currently in red alert at the moment. Um, with and it's rumoured that next Wednesday will be the day um, that the police are going to decide to potentially move in and break up the camp in Ararat. Mm. Um, for those um, listeners who don't know, um, the um, Jabberon um, tent embassy has, is, has basically been set up for like the past year or so um, in defence of the of um, sacred trees that are going to be essentially be demolished, um, cut down by to make room for a road um, by Vic Roads. A huge highway, yeah. A huge highway. <laughs> so um, 
despite the fact that the traditional owners and the, and the um, activists on the camp have actually proposed an alternative route, um, the Andrews government has been relentless and putting um, pushing forward with this highway. Um, so yes, for those who have been following the campaign, I highly encourage you to visit um, and because they need all the support and solidarity they can get, especially it, at this time, considering um, that the um, you know that the they're expected to come and get them. Very shortly. So um, apparently next Wednesday, as I said before, is the date um, that um, they want everyone to kind of mobilise for, like in terms of like you're thinking ahead. Um, this is the kind of... But that said, um, something I would like to say is um, what I think personally is because everyone... Um, because I think the police are likely to mobile, um, think that everyone is going to mobilise on Wednesday because it, that has been put mm. as a public court... Um, I would also think that you sh- um, people should try and get there on the Thursday and the Friday um, as well, um, mainly because I think that they'll try and sort of go in, um, move in at a time where there'll be less protesters, less people. Um, so, yeah, I think it's probably worthwhile and in terms of support um, to stay there a bit longer if you can. Um, and we absolutely support their cause. I mean, these trees, some of these sacred trees are many hundreds of years old, sacred birthing trees that have been sacred for generations of um, Indigenous people and yet, um, you know, the Andrews government wants to just bulldoze them for a highway. Yeah. And um, the other thing as well is um, even if you cannot get down there. Um, they still um, need support. Um, there's ways you can support the, the campaign. Um, if you look on the Jabberon um, Embassy website, um, there is uh, there's a place to donate. Um, and basically, I think one of the things that they've, um, they need the most of is, um, while while some people have probably um, thought that, you know, it would probably be a good idea to, um, to you know, take any sort of... Par- um, you know, remaining food like which is perished through usually um, food in cans, etc. Um, but they're actually um, what they actually need more in terms of um, food and supplies is actually food vouchers um, because essentially they um, they have a over from what I've heard from people who've been at the camp they generally have an oversupply of um, of some of the canned stuff and they need more immediate kind of fresh food. Um, so hence vouchers would help in that situation because they would be able to go to the local Coles or Woolworths, um, you know, to, to buy fresh fr- um, fruit and, and vegetables. So, um, yeah, that's just the current situation there. Um, definitely recommend you can get, get down there if you can. Um, and the, uh, the URL for the Jaburong uh, Embassy is dwembassy.com and you can also find them on Facebook. That's DJAB and then the next word is Wurrung, W-U-R-R-U-N-G. Yep, so right. get down there if you can or support them. All right, I'll just um, might play just a quick announcement and then we'll move on to some other news articles. Um. <laughs> Yeah, join me at 11 every Friday. Black and deadly sound. Please shout. Community radio 855 on the AM dial. Voice of the people. Black and deadly Friday. Robbie Fort Radic Radio. Yeah, join me at 11 every Friday. Black and deadly sound. Please shout. Community radio 855 on the AM dial. Voice of the people. Black and deadly Friday. Robbie Fort Radic Radio. This is Irene Bolger, former Secretary of the Nurses Federation in Victoria. Throughout the nurses' dispute in 1986, 
and the waterfront dispute in 1998, 3CR was always there, broadcasting the voices of workers in struggle. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio and we're broadcasting live from the Bay to Chicken Strike here in Melbourne. We've just seen all of the thousands of nurses walk through to their meeting and people from different unions showing their solidarity. 3CR, radio for the workers, by the workers, since 1976. Right, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio, um, and it is 7.08am. Um, um, Megan, do you have an article from Green Left, from the latest Green Left Weekly that you liked? Um, well, there is one here. It's um, entitled Fines for Some, Jail for the Rest. It's by Sarah Hathaway. And her byline is, you could be forgiven for thinking theft is suddenly socially acceptable, provided you act remorsefully given recent events. However, that acceptance only extends so far. Um, and she's gone on to say that the Fair Work Ombudsman um, fined celebrity chef George Columbaris, um, as, as most people know, um, who was fined for wage theft. They fined him $200,000 for underpaying staff a total of $7.8 million in wages. Um, and in 2017, it was estimated that Columbaris's wealth sat at $4.5 million, making him the sixth richest chef in Australia at the time. And most of the media focused on a fragile, contrite Columbaris talking about how much he loved his staff and very little attention was paid to the employees who had their wages stolen, which is really sort of indicative of um, where the sympathies of mainstream media lied, lay. Um, and shortly after, the media reported on two restaurant owners in Sydney who were forced into liquidation after accruing $436,000 in debt. Um, According to the owners, uh, the business failed because they paid workers award wages, uh, the minimum they are legally required to pay, mind you. Um, A grade two food and beverage attendant whose duties can include mixing alcoholic drinks, sales, assisting in a cellar, bottling department, etc. The award is $20.82 an hour. Um, they're the lucky ones because a lot of workers in the hospitality sector actually receive less than the, the award wage and are often paid cash in hand under the table, meaning that they don't even get basic conditions such as superannuation, paid sick leave, annual leave, etc. Um, and another example is in 2013, um, construction company Grocon was fined $250,000 after a wall on one of its buildings collapsed, killing three people. for the deaths of three people. And in contrast, uh, Construction, Forestry, Maritime Mining and Energy Union was fined $1.25 million for protesting against Grocon's attempt to undermine safety at a different site a year later. So, in fact, the people who are trying to uh, raise safety standards on construction sites get fined more than the people who have lax um, safety standards and have killed three people. Um, that is absolutely crazy and it really highlights um, the kind of one rule for them and one rule for us. Um, you know, if you're a wealthy uh, chef or if you're a rich construction company, etc., um, what you do wrong will have less ramifications than if someone else who does something wrong and is not wealthy and doesn't have a high profile or powerful mates. Um, and it's just, it's such a divide. It's an amazing, terrifying divide that we can have this. And the GroCon one really shows that um, people's efforts to uh, raise safety standards on dangerous construction sites 
are being punished by a government that does not want them to interfere and does not want them to raise safety standards when it's obvious that they do. So, yeah, um, good on you, Sarah. And what have you got? Oh, no, I don't have... Um, well, I was just going to um, expand on that um, story. But, um, yeah, it's, it's generally... Um, one of, it's one of the, I guess, the important things on why we, you know, need strong trade unions, um, to actually have workers that can actually stand up and empower ordinary workers, yeah. um, to stand up against, do, um, dodgy bosses, um, because, you know, essentially, if it, if it isn't for, if, um, workers aren't in, um, trade unions or aren't in a position where they can take collective action, um, then, the bosses can just, you know, essentially walk all over you. And We're divided and powerless and they can do whatever they want. Mm. Yeah. All right. I might just quick, I might just play um, a few announcements um, and then we'll go into getting ready for our first interview, with, um, which is going to be uh, a woman named Aisha, um, who's a Kashmiring woman, um, to talk about the current situation that's um, currently unfolding in Kashmir. Um, but yeah, I'll just play, we'll play a few quick announcements before we get into that, and then yeah, we'll go, we'll be talking more f- further with her. Broadband return, playing the tote boundary, Sunday, September 1st. Having completed an 11-city Japanese tour, they now launch their Japanese-released album along with US split vinyl. Very special guests are Japanese label mates 20 Gilders, featuring Mitsuru Tabata of Acid Mother's Temple. Light Magnetic, the new band with members from The Scientist and Paradise Motel, plus competition team. Broadband, The Tote, Sunday, September 1st, Tickets, $10 pre-sale from thetotehotel.oztix.com.au Kazumuin Records is a 3CR supporter. I just think that it's ironic that the state of Victoria want to treaty with Aboriginal people but have no issue in destroying our sacred sites. War is devastating on the environment. In peacetime, the military is a huge user of fossil fuels, a huge driver of nuclear energy and ultimately the architect of nuclear weapons. Subscribe to 3CR in 2019, fighting for social justice and environmental change. And to all the people that are so afraid of the solutions to climate change that they choose to live in denial instead, the current solutions to the climate emergency are much easier to cope with than the outcomes that will come if we don't. Feed Radical Radio. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Follow, follow the sun. Which way the Guatemala. I'm Black Betty, and you can join me for Black Noise Radio each Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. Join me each week as I serve you up a deadly fine offering of all things black as we explore Black Australia and everything fabulous it has on the offer. We'll check out and see what's making black news locally and from right around Australia. And we'll explore all things Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and the deadly solid culture and people with a look at community news, views, music, culture and the arts. Hope you can join me for Black Noise Radio featuring black news, views, current affairs, music, culture and the arts from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. That's me, Black Betty. I'll see you Thursdays at 2.
3CR, always bringing you the latest union news. They're coming after us at the moment. They want to get rid of penalty rates, the big push from businesses. They want to get rid of all the things that you and I have fought for. So there's tens of thousands of jobs gone, contracted out to sham contracting arrangements. On 8.55am and on the web, 3cr.org.au. I spent three and a half years living on the street and I know what it's like to have no hope and not to feel part of the society and I think that's where a lot of these people are. But I think we need to help people who are traumatised and help people get back on their feet and give them hope and help them um, feel like they're a part of the society again instead of just moving them on like they're an inconvenience. If it were not for ruminations, how would the views of those of us who have been homeless or are homeless, how would these views ever be aired? How would they ever be expressed? Subscribe to the station that gives airtime to people with a lived experience of homelessness. Support 3CR. Right. Good morning, listeners. You're listening to Green Left um, Radio. Um, on the line, um, we have Asha, um, a cashmering woman, who is um, on the line today to talk to us about the situation that's currently unfolding in Kashmir. Um, so, good morning, Asha. Hey, good morning. How are you? Yeah. Now, before I just ask you um, the first question, I'm just going to just give a bit of a brief background. Um, now, for those um, listeners who have kind of been following um, the situation in Kashmir, to give a bit of a very brief kind of background, um, Kashmir um, is and is a state um, in kind of in sort of in the northern kind of parts of India. Um, and essentially, following in, in kind of history, um, due to Due to the fact that it's um, always had a Muslim majority, it was it has in a sense been ensured um, its own constitution in independence over most matters, except for foreign affairs, defence, and communications, um, where it's you know had the the right to be able to elect its own government, elect its own people, etc. Um, but then. In the midst of that, it's always been um, the subject of a kind of territorial dispute between Pakistan and India. And now the recent decision um, by the Modi government has been to revoke Article 370 of India's constitution, which ensured um, that Kashmir had, you know, the right to independence, etc. And so essentially what this means is India now has full rights, um, to essentially govern um, Kashmir as it please um, without, you know, giving any real kind of independence. Um, and, of course, how it's doing that is through sheer force, through, you know, sending tanks, um, military into Kashmir um, to impose um, this political change. So, yeah, um, so, yeah good morning, Asha. And um, can you tell us, expand a bit on that and tell us in terms of the current situation for Kashmir right now? Yes, uh, good morning. Uh, it has been very, very bad because uh, we don't know what's happening there. On the 5th of August, and everything was shut down. We have family back home. 
and we don't know how they are. We don't know what kind of situation they are in, whether they have food, whether they have medication, and if you're sick, you're not allowed to leave your house. So basically, you're a prisoner in your own home. So it is very, very sad for our people. And what India has done, they have revoked the Article 370, which gave us the right to have our own. You could only be a citizen of Kashmir. You could only purchase land there. And you couldn't, um, you know, you couldn't have foreigners. You were the citizens. But now we've lost all those rights. Now India wants to come and just sort of build and, and they want to, you know, create. Um, uh, so they just want to take over our rights. So this is really, it's by force they've taken our rights away. This is illegal. Now, apparently, it's gone to the UN. The UN is having a meeting. The uh, Security General, they're having a meeting over this, what uh, India has done. They've revoked the Article 370. And we will see what it's going to take because the people are not going to, because the thing is, at the moment, they have locked the people up like prisoners. They're making them very angry, so they're not allowed to come outside. Now, it's been 11 days. We have no contact with the family. We don't know what's happening. If, now, I, we just read an article the other day, and they said that there was a man who was dead. They couldn't bury him for three days. Now, in Islam, we must bury the people straight away. You cannot take a long time. So even the babies, there was a baby, there was a death of a baby in the maternity hospital. They couldn't bury the baby, at least for three days. So we have no idea what the position is over there, whether they have even enough food to eat. And we had an Eid recently, and they wouldn't have been able to celebrate anything. We don't know how the situation is. It's completely blacked out. We don't know. The internet, there's no communication, phones are not working, televisions not work. They just cut off from the rest of the world. They're prisoner in their own home. This is ridiculous, especially this day and age, to do this to the people. It's inhumane. Mm. And what can you, just a, just for a bit of um, background, what what is sort of what were sort of the things that kind of led up to this? I guess in terms of the Modi government's kind of motivation um, to revoke um, this article, um, has, what has been sort of the, the political context by which this has kind of happened? Well, the thing is the Modi government, you know, um, they just want to come and they think they want to develop. They have been developing. They have been leasing the land. There are five-star hotels, which are from, you know, and they've, they've already, the development has happened. And the Bondi government thinks that they will come and they will just develop us. I think that what we see, it's going to be like the West Bank. They will demolish our houses. They'll take our land and they will, they want to develop there. You know, they want to have a, big development there so that majority of this like we live in peace with the Hindus and we have the Sikhs and we live peacefully with them but um, it's just the media that creates all this tension But and even the pundits who were living with us which are the Hindus and now they were taken back in the 90s out Jagmohan Singh in the night time they told them to get out and just leave the Muslims there even recently now before the 5th uh, of August a week before, there was a lot of tension. They were calling out all the people from the schools and from uh, from the hotels. They were taking the tourists. They even had a pilgrimage, which they have cut short by 15 days. Now, if the Kashmiris Muslim or the chief minister had done that, there would be a big, big hoo-ha-hey. 
you know, that they have cut the pilgrimage, but they even cut their Hindu pilgrimage short by 15 days. So they've warned their people to get out. There's going to be something going on. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. They did not give us any chance or any warnings what's happening. So they took their people out of the country. Basically, you know, this Kashmir state has been always an independent. Now it's been half is with uh, Pakistan, China, and India. And India holds the majority. It's as big as Switzerland, about 7 million people living there. But majority are Muslims. But we are very peaceful, loving people. At the moment, there used to be a lot of tourists coming from India. And they would come on Facebook and social media telling us how good it was. But, you know, it is very hard for us to live in this state. We've been suffering for 70 years under the Indian occupation. There have been three wars fought over us between India and Pakistan. Now I fear that, you know, there could be another World War Three erupting there with three nuclear powers. So we fear, we fear. So let's hope they're having a meeting after 50 years with the UN. Let's hope something will come out of it and achieve for the safety for our people. And... Um well, something that um sort of in- implied there is has has been um i mean just this is just for the listeners i guess benefit is but has the 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 history of of Kashmir has been Kashmir kind of been used kind of as sort of like almost like a battleground for the kind of conflicts between Pakistan and India is that sort of true to kind of characterize that is is that well, the only country that's helping us is basically is Pakistan. Nobody else, you know, is not um, making a noise about us. At the moment, um, we, we, did, we didn't see any reaction from anyone else except for Pakistan being the neighbor because India always wants to, want us to attack Pakistan. And they have always, you know, as I said, they poured three wars over us. So that's what we can say because, you know, Pakistan is happy for us to go. But India is because, you know, they have their own feudal system. They just want to attack Pakistan. And I don't know because I don't know what's going to happen. Hmm. Um, and what, I guess in terms of the current situation, what is it, what are the kind of demands, um, in light of this, I'm revoking the article that, um, that the Kashmirians want to put forward, um, for, for their own country? <laughs> well, we've taken our identity away, our culture away. So we've lost everything, and it's, we have never been a part of India. We never will be a part of India. So just, you know, uh, there was a, uh, a resolution that the people had to determine their own right. But they've taken that right away from us. So now what do we do? It's like someone taking your house and invading your home, and this is it now. So we don't know what's going to happen. Now they've just massacred, like, you know, um, since 70 years we've been suffering and there are a lot of human rights violation over there which have created by India but no one's making you know no one's highlighting on the human rights violation just ask amnesty a human rights groups and in that thing at the moment they're picking up young boys and they, they're detaining them they have detained government officials they've locked up the chief ministers ex-chief ministers and uh, even the scholars and uh, government officials and young boys, we don't know who they have detained and what they're going to do and how they're going to torture them. We just want our land back, leave us alone, and let us decide our future. Let the Kashmiris decide our future. Not Pakistan, not India. Let the people of Kashmir.
Hmm. Yeah. So, um, Asia, I guess in terms of, um, um, because, um, how can, um, how can people, I guess, in Australia or those who are listening to, um, to our program right now, um, you know, stand and support, um, your struggle, um, for independence, especially in light of how extreme this, this situation has kind of gotten with, with, you know, with what India is currently doing? Well, we are going to hold forums. We need to educate our Australian community. They don't know what's the history of Kashmir and what's going on. And so we need to educate them. We will leave some numbers with you, and then they can get in touch with us, and then we will uh, we will hold forums, and we need to educate. We've had rallies. We've had a great support from some of the Australian community. But we need to educate Australians about Kashmir. Mm that India is committing over there. Yeah, and so would you like to pass on um, a number to, to, for you to be contacted by or or do you mean, um, or is there a particular um, page that we can promote? Um, at the moment, we haven't set up a page because everything has just happened within a short span of time. But we will get to that one and maybe we can leave some information with you and you can get forward it if any listeners would help us and that would be great. And we can put it up on our page when we put up the um, the actual show as well. Thank you. Yeah. Well, once you set up your page, we can go. We can go post it on our um, page. So for listeners that are listening, um, this probably won't be. I guess won't be the last time. Um, we'll keep. Um, we'll do regular updates and interviews. Um, with Kashmir and women, um, people like um, Aisha right now um, to keep keep abreast of the current situation, and then as you know, as as they as we start getting organised, we'll be able to you know promote um, upcoming rallies and public forums and pages on this particular issue. Yeah, that would be lovely. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, and, is there yeah. any final comments you'd like to make, Aisha? I just want the Australian government, I just want the Australian people to support us so we can, you know, signing petitions and this and that, pleading to the Australian government, tell India to hands off our land and Thank revoke the 70, 70 articles. Thank mm. you so much, Aisha. We really appreciate the, the work that you've been doing and um, we are going to help you in getting the Australian public to listen and to understand their Kashmir situation. Mm. Thank you so much for giving us this chance to hear us, please. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much, Aisha, for being on our program. Thank you. And we'll continue thank to support. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, that was Aisha from um, the Kashmirian community um, just now talking about um, the current struggle for uh, um, for, in- um, for Kashmirian independence, um, especially in light of how extreme I guess the situation's gone. I mean, I was just at a rally um, yesterday in support of um, their struggle, and I think you know for, for listeners, it's sort of like. Um, the actual the actual size of um, you know in terms of the population of Kashmir is actually probably no bigger than say Melbourne, and the situation is as such that if imagine if you were living in Melbourne, um, and let's say in theory that Melbourne was like an independent state, and that um, and that the rest of the Australian government. Um, um, st- decided to send in tanks um, and, uh, and over 10,000 military soldiers into the city of Melbourne. And that actually gives a bit of a picture 
of the current situation that Kashmirians face um, in Kashmir right now. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we'll get we'll, as we said before, we'll definitely continue to give regular coverage um, to this to our ongoing solidarity campaign, um, especially and give the latest updates on the situation as as they emerge. I can't. Um, I. I, I I find it hard to wrap my head around the psychological warfare that the Indian government is playing on them as well, you know, with the curfews, with the fact that they can't go out, uh, you know, they, they, we, they don't know what's happening, we don't know what's happening there, and they, don't, they are cut off from the rest of the world. This is a type of psychological warfare just built to grind them down, and it's absolutely despicable, and I, I can't understand how our government could be so silent on this. Yes. Mm. Um, anyway, um, we'll just go, I'll play a quick um, announcement and we'll move on to covering some other news for um, from Green Left um, Radio. Accent women. It seems so obvious to me that if you live in a, in a completely violent um, cultural milieu that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives. Accent women. What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the... How can people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation where there are, two, where there are armies there and terrorists there and such conflict every single day of their lives? Accent Women. A show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. Every Monday from 11am on Community Radio 3CR. I spent three and a half years living on the street and I know what it's like to have no hope and not to feel part of the society and I think that's where a lot of these people are. But I think we need to help people who are traumatised and help people get back on their feet and give them hope and help them um, feel like they're a part of the society again instead of just moving them on like they're an inconvenience. If it were not for ruminations, how would the views of those of us who have been homeless or are homeless, how would these views ever be aired? How would they ever be expressed? Subscribe to the station that gives airtime to people with a lived experience of homelessness. Support 3CR. Right. Um, so, good morning, listeners. You're listening to Green Left um, Radio, um, and in the on the line we have myself, Jacob, and Megan. So, I guess um, one thing I actually wanted to um, start talking about actually is um, I've been attending um, some of the film um, screenings um, that have been um, playing at the Melbourne International Film Festival, um, and I actually saw two. Um, kind of great films kind of back-to-back back, um, that I think, you know, are kind of politically relevant um, for our program um, in many ways. Um, and to sort of just give a bit of a kind of brief kind of review of um, both of them. Now, the first film um, is Bakuru, um, which is, um, I think it's spelled B-A-C-R-O-U. I'll, I'll, when, if you, when I upload the, the, um, the podcasts on the website, I'll have the full title. Um, but anyway, it's a, it's a recent film that, a Brazilian film that, um, 
is basically it's sort of like a, a sort of weird kind of western st- highly stylized kind of western film set in contemporary brazil um it concerns the affairs of a of a uh, of a a rural kind of outback kind of brazilian kind of village or community or town however you kind of describe it um that's sort of not marked um on the map um but what what the, is quite in, um, and then the, the the plot revolves around this really uh, around this community um, that has appeared um, it's sort of introduced as being abandoned by the political system. Um, there's a mayor that kind of visits um, who is hated by most of the population because he's done nothing to address um, the water problem, which is the fact that the village actually doesn't get any drinking water because the dam is broken. Um, and then the mayor basically says, oh, well, um, he's basically portrayed as being quite a useless kind of politician who does nothing um, to address um, the water. Um, and then so that's sort of the comp, that's the kind of setup um, for the story. And then it, revol- and then it um, evolves into sort of a, or a kind of action sort of Western from where a group of far right kind of fascists um, start come there, start to invade the village and the community with guns. And by coincidence, um, they all happen to be American and speak perfect English, <laughs> while this community um, is mostly depicted as being Afro-Brazilian. So they're all, you know, of um, um, black, um, sk- um, dark skin, um, which is... If you read a lot into this, there's clearly a, a political theme going on through there, um, especially when they portray um, um, the, Brazil, um, the Brazilian, like the Brazilian mayor is like, you know, very white and skinned, clearly is kind of reflective of some of the racial conflicts in Brazil. I also would think it's a bit of a reference to um, the current Brazilian government um, and how the current Brazilian government is essentially, you know, um, in line, you know, with the United States and is essentially wanting to promote, you know, outright fascism abroad. So yeah, I highly, without spoiling too, um, the rest of the film, I would definitely highly recommend it. Um, what if it um, starts playing theatres? Um, the film is Baku. Um, and yeah, it's a, um, it's been, it's described as a kind of weird kind of Western kind of film. Um, now the second film I, and, um, the second film I, I saw, um, was The Nightingale, um, which is probably a film that's likely to get a very wide release. Um, in fact, I think it's getting a wide release um, as, as early as probably next week or two weeks from now. Um, it's, the fi- it's the second film um, by Jennifer Kent, who previously directed the horror film um, Babadook. Um, anyway, her second film is not necessarily a horror, um, although it is horror, it is a horrifying film, um, is, it is a, a revenge thriller that, um, takes place in 1820s Tasmania, um, and, and essentially it portray, it's, it portrays very accurately the kind of colonial kind of violence of, of that period, um, in probably, Probably in um, a film, probably a film that is, I think, very accurate in terms of its portrayal of Australian history, because I guess for context, Tasmania, um, where the film is situated, was kind of where the worst of colonisation ha- happened, um, and the, the film concerns um, an Irish um, convict um, who who um, bands up with an Aboriginal tracker to track down. Um, 
her family um, and the cure of her family, who is this um, colonialist. Um, I'll warn you that the film is very extreme. It's in its depictions of violence and rape. Um, but um, I feel that unlike some other films, um, its, its portrayals can be considered artistically justified. Um, and I think it, it is quite a powerful film in its portrayal of the colonial violence in that era, but I think what is significant about it is that it actually shows the active resistance of those who are, who were oppressed by British rule, which is, you know, both the, the convicts, um, and the Aboriginal, um, um, and the Aboriginal people. And it actually, the fact that it actually shows their active resistance against colonisation and in a sense, the second half of the film is actually quite satisfying when you, when you see the, the oppressed rising up and taking control um, against the oppressors. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a generally a really good film um, and with definitely a lot to kind of think about in terms of um, its political and, it, and its politics. And I think, you know, the film was also, in to give credit to the filmmaker as well, while she has received some controversy for, you know, some of the extreme depictions of violence in the film, the film was actually made in consultation with Aboriginal elders who thought that um, the film um, was an honest um, telling of a, of a history and a story that did that needed to be told. And I think, you know, in the context of when we have films like Australia, (laughs) which give a very sugar-coated, romanticised view of Australian history, Um, or the whitewash, and of course, all the whitewashing um, of most Australian, um, of most classic Australian Mm. film. Um, I think the fact that a film like this is getting made, I think, is in a sense reflective of um, the fact that. The, the, the growing sort of Aboriginal rights movement and of asserting mm. solid sovereignty that, you know, filmmakers cannot get away with just making a film that essentially whitewashes um, the history of Australia. <clears throat> Oh, that's, that sounds interesting. I'd really like to see both of those movies. Yeah, so, yeah, the the second film that I was just um, talking about from which um, I think, I'm not sure if there's any more film screens of it at Melbourne International Film Festival, but, yeah, it's The Nightingale um, by Jennifer Kent, um, and definitely highly recommend um, you watch it, um, especially since, yeah, I wasn't... Um, for the benefit of listeners, I didn't really spoil much plot details. I just merely sort of Good. described <laughs> um, and, um, you know, the quality of the film and it, the themes it deals with. Well, um, just moving on, um, just in that sort of theme of, um, you know, art, literature, etc., um, there is actually a, a book review in the latest issue of Green Left Weekly that I wouldn't mind um, talking about. Uh, so the review is by Barry Healy, and the book is Angels and Demons, A Radical Anthology of Political Lives by Tony McKenna, uh, published by Zero Books in 2018. Um so he's a, Tony, Tony McKenna is a British Trotskyist and he's selected a most diverse collection of political and cultural figures to illustrate a Marxist understanding of the world. Um, he assembles his subjects into two categories, angels and demons. Uh, so in his book, the angels are Victor Hugo, Hugo Chavez, Rembrandt, Andrea Dworkin, William Blake and Jeremy Corbyn. And the demons are Christopher Hitchens, Arthur Schopenhauer, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. This sounds really interesting. Um, 
And so put, to put it mildly, his selection is eclectic and he succeeds in showing how each person was shaped by the dynamics of the age or as McKenna says, uh, how each mediates the most significant contradictions within the capitalist order at different stages in its development. Um, his 10 subjects are not, he says, reducible to mere abstract ciphers. The personal representat- representatives of mechanical anonymous historical forces, um, but rather their art and activity, their interest and individu- individuality, only resonates its full uniqueness and meaning in the context of the historical epoch um, and the underlying social and political contradictions which set the basis for it. Um, McKenna has a great command of the English language and can write beautifully. However, he overdoses at times, or overdoes it at times, sorry, uh, spilling into florid single-sentence paragraphs of hundreds of words. But Barry says, never mind, it's a good read. So, yeah, that's um, Angels and Demons, a radical anthology of political lives by Tony McKenna, published by Zero Books in 2018. Okay. Hi, thanks for that, Megan. Um, we'll just play a quick announcement before we go on to our second interview for the program. Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japurung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japurung country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The cops are coming with eviction orders very soon. The campaign to protect country is led by Japarang traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japarang country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. Hi, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, on the line we have Reem, um, who is an activist involved in Extinction Rebellion Moreland. Um, Extinction Rebellion Moreland is going to be organising its first rally slash action slash writing slash die-in um, this Saturday at 10am at Moreland Station. Um, so yeah, we have Reem on the line to talk a bit about the protest and maybe a bit about um, Extinction Rebellion. Um, so good morning, Reem. Hi. Welcome. Um, good morning. Yeah. All right. So, um, Reem, can you give us a bit of, um, can you tell us a bit about um, this upcoming action on Saturday and sort of what what we're hoping, what you're hoping to, what you're hoping to achieve, etc. Especially in terms of Extinction Rebellion. Yeah. So, um, um, basically, we're doing the write-in and the die-in as a way of. Um, um, showing how much we care about the climate and ecological crisis that we're facing and to kind of um, also um, draw people in and um, let them know how urgent it is at the moment and that we can't keep on waiting for our governments to act. We need our governments to act now. Um, and what we wanted to do is to do this in Moreland in a fun way um, to kind of highlight how important it is, but also to show that there are things that we can do. We do have hope. And if we do act now, there is a, there is a possibility that we can make us have a better and sustainable world in the future. Um, so we're meeting at 10 o'clock 
at Moreland Station, and from there we will do um, uh, a ride and walk down Sydney Road towards Brunswick Town Hall. And once we reach Brunswick Town Hall, um, we will be doing a, uh, a die-in. And really what a die-in is, is a representation of the mass extinction that is, has already started, but will happen to us if we don't do something now. Um, and so, obviously, we want that to be um, just showing that we do have to do something now and we don't want this to happen. Um, mm. And we will have some opportunity for people to, to speak about their feelings about the ecological and climate crisis. Um, and we'll also be having lots of colours and music because that's the XR way. Mm. Excellent. It sounds great. I've actually seen some pictures on Facebook of some of the um, the artwork. Um, there's going to be some huge gongs and things. Yeah. It looks absolutely fantastic. There seems to be a lot of energy around Extinction Rebellion Moreland, which is a new Extinction Rebellion group. Uh, there seems to be a lot of people and uh, that particular um, Extinction Rebellion local group uh, it seems to be be doing very well. Um, the dynamic uh, with, with uh, Extinction Rebellion, can you just give us a little bit of a background um, on maybe a little bit of the history of Extinction Rebellion, the kind of structure that it has, and uh, maybe talk about um, our aims, etc.? Yeah, so Extinction Rebellion really started in the UK. Um, it came from a, um, an, another environmental group that formed a smaller group called Extinction Rebellion, um, and that became... Uh, force of its own really last year and it's um, a social movement that is trying to attract as much attention as possible um, in a mass way because um, we know that um, we need mass um, support to be able to get the government to make changes. We have um, a, a really strong emphasis on non-violent civil disobedience and disruption and direct action because that has been shown to um, and enable direct um, um, urgent change to happen. I mean, there's history of that from lots of movements, including the civil rights movement, the suffragettes um, of direct direct action leading to um, policy changes. Um, and so the aim in the UK, but now that has been spreading across the world, including in Australia, is three demands. To, to tell the truth that we are in a climate emergency, there is a climate crisis happening right now um, to act now because we have no more time to wait um, and the scientists are saying that and we need to listen to them and also to um, move beyond government because our governments have let us down um, mm. for many many years um, um, NGOs have been lobbying the government to try to do something to act on the climate issues that we're facing and nothing is working um, because other lobbyists have a lot more power and control over the government and so we want them to kind of listen to the people who really do care about it and who they're supposed to be representing. Absolutely. Um, so that's the kind of main aims of Extinction Rebellion across the world including here in Melbourne and um, Extinction Rebellion in Melbourne is a, has been forming over the last Oh, well, during this year, 2019, and they have done a few actions in um, around sort of more central Melbourne, and now the hope is that it expands out into the suburbs. 
and a few of us, including myself, really only joined the Extinction Rebellion movement in the last month or so and realized we all lived in the same area in Moreland and thought, hey, we need to do something. This is important. So we kind of got together. We've done some talks in Coburg and in Brunswick, and we've been working really hard, and I've just been amazed with how much work people have put into it. And an idea that really came up three three weeks ago about let's do a ride-in and a die-in. And, yeah, we're so excited about um, the event that we're going to have tomorrow, and we hope that lots and lots of people can join us because we think it's really important. Yeah, mm. definitely. Um, just a, a couple of questions. So um, the the energy that is, um, it seems that Extinction Rebellion has legs and all around Australia and the world there has been activities, there's been actions that have been happening. I mean, Brisbane just had their um, their disruption period uh, not long ago. I think uh, Melbourne has uh, a week of disruptions in October. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. And that's really what we're working to towards. It's actually going to be an international week of action, so there's um, a number of cities across the world that will be doing it, and Melbourne is one Can you of tell them. me the dates for that as well? So it's starting on the 7th of October, mm-hmm. and there's going to be um, events all week, and, and who knows beyond if that's how it goes, but it's really about um, uh, joining forces across Melbourne um, to, to do um, mass civil disobedience um, and disruption and direct action to really get heard. So there's going to, and we're part of the, the reason for doing the action tomorrow is to kind of um, bring people in and to practice what it's like to, to be part of it because it's so much fun, but it also takes a lot of work and preparation to organise it. So, and and we've been working very closely with lots and lots of people to kind of make it happen. But really, we want the whole world to kind of hear how important this is across. Um, by doing it across numbers of um, different countries mm. and we want Melbourne to really stand out because we our week of action will be starting first. Mm. Mm. That's a really interesting. Um, one of the things I like about uh, Extinction Rebellion is that it, it, it's an inclusive kind of um, loose organisation. They support the school strike for climate. Um, you know, they support other actions for climate that aren't Extinction Rebellion related because they understand that we need to work together in order to combat what's an absolutely horrible problem that we face. And just another question. Um, Here in Australia, we have the Morrison government who, as we know, are not particularly friendly to uh, climate activists. Uh, In the Morrison government, we also have some, um, you know, climate change deniers, etc. In the light of such a hostile environment, um, how much, how effective do you think uh, people's activism can be, you know, in in trying to get a government that, you know, some members of it don't actually even believe that climate change is real? How effective do you think you can be and what do you think that we can do to, to change their minds? Yeah, well, I think, you know, you make a really good point and I think it is kind of scary to hear, even today, um, Scott Morrison saying we need a sensible approach to the climate crisis. I'm not sure that we would be saying that if we were at war. Mm. And is it sensible to kind of be ignoring actually what's happening? Um, so, yeah, um, I think one of the things that um, Extinction Rebellion has done is looked at the evidence and looked at the research. And um, there have been um, uh, researchers that have found that if we can mobilise 3.5% of the population, um, that is... Um, into doing direct action, then we are able, 
uh, the history has shown and the evidence suggests that we can affect government change. So we've looked at it in terms of how many people that would mean mobilising in Moorland, and it would be about 5,700. Um, and across um, Australia, it would be, you know, getting on to um, uh, about 800,000. So we don't need everyone to agree with us. We just need um, uh, we need to um, join forces and all the individuals who really care about this issue. And that's why um, Extinction Rebellion does have open arms to all the other um, causes out mm. there. There are many, many people who have been working really hard in this area and environmental activism. And so by all of us joining together um, to show what we're we think is really important. We hope that it can make change. I mean, in the UK at the moment, it is a, also um, a conservative government, and through a lot of the work that Extinction Rebellion has done, the UK government has declared a climate emergency, and they have been working towards um, trying to address these issues. I mean, I think they definitely could do more. I'm not using mm. them as a great... But, you know, I think we, we can... If, if the people who... Um, if the government is there to represent us, then the people need to let them know loud and um, clearly what we want to be represented on. Absolutely. And it's interesting that you say that um, because the UK could arguably have, you know, we could say that the UK arguably has a more conservative government than what we have here. Um, and the fact that Extinction Rebellion has made headway and, and forced the government to declare a climate emergency is quite hopeful. Um, you know, maybe the same sort of model can be applied here and we can force the government to declare a climate emergency and, and start acting on this. Um, Reem, do you have any, like, what, what other sort of, uh, do you have anything that you want to talk about that we haven't covered yet? Um, I guess really we're focusing on um, trying to get as many people to join us tomorrow, but we will be doing lots more events um, and actions. And, and as I said, we're working towards October the 7th. So um, for people, if they want to um, look us up, there's the... Um, Extinction Rebellion Australia website. We've got a Facebook page and stuff. So just kind of connecting with us. There's, um, you mentioned that it's, um, Extinction Rebellion does want to include everyone, and that's really important for us. Um, and there are many, many to get involved. We've got Extinction Rebellion youth, Extinction Rebellion students, Extinction Rebellion families. Um, we've got um, in diversity groups, everything. So we really want anyone who's got any interest um, who can play a role. There's lots of roles that need to be um, done. Um, it, direct action is one of them, but it, around that we're trying to do so much. Um, so, yeah, it, I think that's the main thing is getting people involved and, and supporting us. Yeah, and so, um, Reem, do you have any kind of like final comments or what? Um, can you link us to how people can get get involved? With yeah, and Ex what's the XR Morland? Um, is it XR Morland on Facebook? Is that correct? It yeah, is yeah, yeah. XR yeah. Morland. Yeah, we've got a Facebook page. There's the XR Thick um, uh, page as well. If people are listening to this who aren't in Morland, um, um, and then there's the Oz um, Rebellion dot uh, uh, no Oz. Oh, sorry, I should look it up. I'm use my brain, it's early. Yeah, it's ozrebellion.earth, um, which is the um, Extinction Rebellion website. So there's lots of ways to connect with us, um, but maybe one of the, if people are on Facebook, the easiest way is Facebook. Yep. All right. Absolutely. Thank you very much, um, Reem, and um, yeah, um, good well, luck with your action. A... I'll yeah, thank you tomorrow, so much for your so... time. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Bye.
Right, that was um, Reem from Extinction Rebellion Moreland um, talking to us about the upcoming protest that's going to be happening tomorrow. Um, and as someone 10 a.m. at Moreland Station yep, is where they're starting. And um, as someone who is also involved in Extinction Rebellion, well, especially actually I'm heavily involved in the Moreland group, um, I'm... What I've found quite, what I've been finding quite exciting has been that I think, um, I think it's quite likely that tomorrow will be the biggest local action that XR has done outside the CBD. Which is great, yeah, um, a lot of energy around it. And another exciting thing is, um, Melbourne University had a Extinction Rebellion meeting, um, yesterday, um, yesterday, um, which had over 50 to 60 people. Um, it was actually a huge turnout and um, what they have decided to do is to organise an action on Open Day um, at Melbourne Uni uh, because Melbourne Uni um, is actually sponsoring the upcoming International Mining Conference. Uh, yes, so I, Mark, we have to talk um, about I, that. <laughs> um, so there's going to be a protest. Um, so they, um, they're going to be meeting, I think, at 10am at the North Lawn um, and yeah, the, and then there's going to be a protest. Um, but yeah, mm. keep... Um, keep um, um, getting formed to sort of organise around mobilising youth and students around the week of action in October um, and that will be happening, t- um, the first meeting will be happening today at 5pm at the Queensbury Hotel. Alright, now um, just I think we'll just play a quick announcement um, and then we'll go into the activist um, calendar. Have you got that? 3CR are selling kafir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Right, you're listening to Green Left Weekly um, Radio. Um, it is um, 8am, which means that it, I guess it's time for the activist calendar. Um, but I guess before I go through um, the activist calendar, I'll just like to make a bit of a plug um, that the Green Left Weekly um, campaign to get more supporters um, is still ongoing. Um, and in fact, if you become a supporter now um, until Sunday, you um, can get the first month free. Um, and so just to um, explain, um, to become a supporter, it generally costs like $5 a month um, to... Um, to get an online digital subscription, um, that where, um, where the paper will be sent to you every, every week by email. Um, and then there's, and if you become a supporter for like $10 a month, um, you'll be able to get, um, the actual hard copy issue sent to you each week to your house. So um, you can actually read the articles as we talk about them on yeah, the radio. Yeah. So, um, you can, you can, um, you can go, you can become a supporter by going on greenleft.org, um, um, .au <laughs> forward slash support and yeah you can find out all the information on how to become a Green Left Weekly supporter there. 
And also, um, just in regards to uh, Green Left, it is one of the only uh, independent news outlets, uh, you know, that is a newspaper that reports on things that don't get covered by the mainstream media, which is really, really important. Mainstream media is bought and paid for by corporations and the people who own it. Um, we are a people-based um, newspaper, people-based news service, and we are supported by people. We do not get corporate donations, which is really very, very important for for non-biased reporting um, and yeah it's 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 fantastic we have been running for 26 years the newspaper and we continue to we will continue to run for many more years yeah all right um now I guess i'll i'll start um on the actors calendar um just start with the jabberon Rowan heritage prediction embassy um the um just to give a bit of a plug the embassy is protecting trees um uh, sacred birthing trees on Dajab um, Jabaron country from planned highway extension near Ararat that is set to destroy this dreaming landscape. Um, so that is still ongoing and I highly encourage you to visit. Um, well, I guess in terms of what's happening, um, what's coming up, there'll be on Saturday, there'll be a rally riding to die in climate action now at 10 a.m. at the Morton Station with a slow, wide ride and walk down Sydney Road. Um, then then 11.30 a.m. Brunswick Town Hall die-in, organised by Extinction Rebellion Moreland. On Saturday, August the 17th, there will also be a seminar, Latin American Fights, um, a seminar on Latin American struggles, resistance and recent, recent developments, and they'll be happening from 10.30 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. at the Shreds Hall. Um, there'll be a rally, British State Collusion, Time for the Truth. Join us as we rally to call for an end to the continuous cover-up of British state murder and collusion in the north of Ireland. Um, and they'll be happening at 2 p.m. at the State Library, Saturday, August the 17th. Um, there'll be a public meeting, Build Communities, Not Prisons, um, Resisting Government Incarceration um, Agendas, with over um, eight, eight, over 82,000 people are on the public housing waiting list, while the Andrew ALP government plans to spend $1.8 billion on new prisons, featuring Karen Fletcher um, at, and... In the, and um, this will be taking place at 6.30 on Tuesday, August the 20th, with meal from 6pm at the Resistance Centre, Level 5, 407 Swanson Street. There will also be a book launch, being left-wing in Australia. Stuart McIntyre launches Jeff Robinson's take on where things stand today, and they'll be at 7pm at the new International Bookshop, Shrades Hall, 54 Victoria Street, Carlton South. And then there'll be a forum uh, next Wednesday, um, building on the September 20 climate strike, jobs, justice and renewable energy, happening at 12 noon at the Agro Theatre Biosciences Forum, Melbourne University, and it's organised by Spreading the Climate Strike, Uni Melbourne. On Sunday, August the 25th, um, there'll be a memorial meeting for Barman Yusufi, who was an Iranian refugee and activist who had recently, has recently passed. Um, they'll be at 2pm at the Kurdish Democratic Community Centre, 36 Faulkner Road in Pasco Vale. On Tuesday, August the 27th, there'll be a PC public service announcement, um, P, um, P, um, public uh, pol- PSA delegates, public politics in the pub. Join the d- discussion and debate, hear from guest speakers, and let's start building the activist network across the public service we need after the federal election result. And they'll be at 7pm at the Colonial Hotel, 585 Longsau Street in the city. Um, on Saturday, the 31st of August, um, there'll be a protest against the Religious Exemptions Bill, No Right to Discriminate, and they'll be happening at 1pm at the State Library, 328 
um, Swanson Street in the city. And on Wednesday, September 11th, There'll be a public meeting on Anthony Lewinstein reports on the drug war. Like the never-ending war on terror, the drugs war is a multi-billion dollar industry that won't go down without a fight. Lewinstein's new book explains why, and they'll be happening at 7pm at Room 1, Trades Hall 54, Victoria Street, Carlton, South. And it's hosted by the New International Bookshop. Um, there'll be on Friday, September the 13th, there'll be a film screening and public meeting. Turkey threatens Rojava's revolution. Um, Northern Syria's Kurdish-led revolution based on grassroots democracy, feminism, ecology and multiculturalism is under immediate threat of invasion by Turkey. And the screening of this documentary, Rojava, Northern Syria, the Kurds between conflict and democracy, followed by discussions of solidarity work. They'll be happening at 6.30pm for a 6.45pm start at the Blue Room, first floor multicultural hub, 506 Elizabeth Street in the city, and it's hosted by Australians for Kurdistan. And on Friday, um, September the 20th, there'll be the Global Climate Strike, three days before the UN Emergency Climate Summit, school strikers inviting everyone to join us for our biggest ever global climate strike. And that'll be at 2pm at the Treasury Gardens in the city. Um, so yeah, that is um, pretty much it, I guess, for um, Actors Calendar announcements, um, unless there's anything I'm missing. I can't think of anything. Yep. Anyway, um, I'll just quick, um, I guess... What we might do is um, we might um, take a bit of a breather and play a bit of a song. Um, so I was thinking I'll play um, poetry um, by text, um, which is by the Aboriginal um, singer-songwriter Alex Skye.
You're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. It is 8.12am and you're just listening to Poetry by Text by Alex Skye. Um, now, I guess I wanted to start a discussion um, over this article in the latest Green Left Weekly and coming Green Left Weekly about, written by Pip Hinman on how why Australia must end its support for more US wars. And um, Pip starts off by um, you know, posing the question, you know, remember when um, Donald Trump um, campaigned for office in 2016 on getting the United States out of endless wars? He did in part, and in a sense, to distinguish himself from the pro-war Democratic um, presidential contender Hillary Clinton. And But now when we Fast forward to 2019, we see that Trump and his band of hawks are now pushing for a new war, and most likely with Iran. And in July, um, Trump authorised missile strikes in Iran, only to back down at the last minute after the downing of a US drone in the Persian Gulf, which Iran says was in, in its airspace. Then the White House authorised sending a thousand more troops um, to the Middle East after alleged Iranian attack on two oil tankers in the Gulf of Oman. The Pentagon wants to send over 120,000 troops to the region. But despite um, the, the a couple of months of campaign for a new coalition of killing, who is actually on board? Only Britain and Israel. Australia, we are told, is giving the complex request due consideration. And of course, following the secretive um, Osman talks earlier this month between Australia and the US, um, to which um, Green Left 
um, applied for a media pass <laughs> but never heard back. Um, Foreign Minister Marissa Payne and Defence Minister Linda Reynolds parroted the same old lines about being deeply concerned by the heightened tensions in the Gulf region. If only that was true. When we look at the fact that the warmongering um, US Secretary of State Mike Pompey, who quickly slipped into Sydney for the Osmond talks on August 4th, has been campaigning for Australia to join the US on what he says is one of the most pressing foreign policy challenges of our time. He wants to send more US troops um, to the Strait of, um, of Hormuz between the Persian Gulf and the Gulf of Oman. It is one of the most world's most strategically important sh- shipping choke points. Payne and Reynolds know that a build-up of nuclear um, of US nuclear powered warships on Iran's doorship will contribute to tension. Japan and Germany are resisting pressure to contribute. And it's not news to anyone that the US Hawks have an insatiable desire to expand their networks of bases across the world. Weapons production and sales are just as high on the agenda. And according to Iran, um, the US sold um, $50 billion worth of weapons to its allies in the Middle East last year. And the United Arab Emirates spent $22 billion and Saudi Arabia spent $87 billion. And by contrast, Iran spent only 16 million. Far from being a deterrent, um, the build-up of weapons is contributing to the tinderbox atmosphere. It sets up greater possibilities of an all-out war, starting on the basis of small misjudgment by a lowly sailor, either Iranian or American. And of course, in context, I mean, the global military spending grew to a whooping um, $18.22 billion in 2018, 5.4% higher than in 2009. The Stockholm International Peace Research Institute says that global military spending is now 76% higher than in the post-Cold War low of 1998. And Australia, a junior partner in the US alliance, is keen to take part of the action, having declared it wants to become among the top 10 weapons manufacturers globally. And then former Defence Minister Christopher Pine is so keen to help out. After boosting Australian defence spending, he took on a lucrative advisory job in EY as a consultant to defence companies just two months after resigning from Parliament and leaving his Cabinet position. And, of course, the coalition government spent um, you know, $26.7 in 2018, almost 2% of GDP and up 21% since 2009, with not a peep from the so-called opposition Labor. Billions have been squandered on questionable defence projects with very little visibility or accountability. They know how unpopular this government spending is, especially as wages and welfare payments flatline. Ultimately, however, to change this government's warp priorities, we need to build a strong people-powered opposition. We need to stop Australia from entering a potentially catastrophic war on Iran and to halt its support for the profiteering arms industries. It's been done before and it needs to be done again. All right, so that's just a, a summary of um, an article, I guess, in terms of the current situation of um, Iran. Um, now, um Megan had a story we'll go start discussing from the international front. Yes, um, so this is uh, from Ireland. Uh, this is um, a, enti- a small article in the latest Green Left Weekly titled British Collusion with Loyalist Forces Not Forgotten. Uh, it's by Jake Gallagher. 
and he just goes into a history of um, what's happening in happened in Ireland. So the single most deadly terror attack on Irish soil took place on May 17th, 1973. Four car bombs were placed across the cities of Dublin and Monaghan and over the border in the Irish Free State um, into the Irish Free State, and ex- uh, exploded, killing 34 people and in, in injuring hundreds more. And this attack and many more likely supposedly flew under the radar of British security forces, in inverted commas, sent to the north of Ireland to deal with paramilitarism. However, it flew under the radar not by chance but by design. Uh, the Ulster Volunteer Force, UVF, a British loyalist, loyalist paramilitary group, claimed responsibility for the attack. However, according to numerous reports regarding the attack, members of the Royal Ulster Constabulary, RUC, the police force in the north of Ireland, and MI5, British intelligence, were likely operating behind the scenes. The blood on the hands of the security forces did not end with Dublin and Monaghan. The the UVF, along with at least two members of the Ulster Defence Regiment, UDR, a local branch of the British Army, were implicated in the murders of members of the Miami Show Band in 1975. The assassins initially attempted to plant a bomb on the band's bus before gunning down members members of one of Ireland's most popular bands. More than 120 murders were perpetrated by the Glenane gang, a death squad of 40 loyalist paramilitaries, British soldiers and RUC officers, which targeted Irish nationalist civilians. Sir Devsmond de Silva's report into the 1989 murder of human rights lawyer Pat Finucane uh, uh, by the Ulster Defence Association estimated that about 85% of the information used by loyalist loyalist paramilitary groups in their attacks was supplied by British security forces. On top of this collusion, it is known that many British Army and RUC officers funnelled military-grade weapons to these groups and were members themselves. In the investigation into bombing of McGurk's Bar in 1971 by the UVF, which killed 15 people, um, the RUC attempted to keep the perpetrators free of guilt by biasing their investigation towards it being an IRA bomb that exploded prematurely. In the aftermath of the 1994 um, Lochin Island massacre, in which six civilians were gunned down in a pub while watching the World Cup, RUC investigators willfully destroyed evidence and performed an improper investigation. These acts of collusion are known to the British government. In 2011, then-British Prime Minister David Cameron met with Finucane's family and freely admitted to collusion in his murder. Yet not a single member of the security forces has ever faced trial. Uh, Finucane was killed by the UDA in front of his family at Sunday breakfast. The UDA outlawed in 1992 carried out joint patrols with the British Army and were armed in large part by them. In recent months currently, many victims, families and support groups have begun to make progress towards the truth. Landmark cases against the Glenane gang are currently ongoing and there has been a renewed public interest in the topic with popular documentaries such as uh, Unquiet Graves and the Miami Show Band Massacre, bringing these injustices back into the public lie. And he finishes with, collusion is not an illusion. And there's a rally actually against um, British collusion in Ireland and that will be held at the State Library on Melbourne, August, in Melbourne on August the 17th at 1pm. And for more information, you can visit the James Connolly Association Australia on Facebook. Great. 
Now, um, yes, thanks for that, Megan. I just go, um, actually just want to read out something. Um, basically, we forgot to announce this in um, the activist calendar, um, but listeners are probably aware of um, the situation in Hong Kong um, where there's been continuous kind of ongoing protests. Um, the protests have kind of almost escalated to a kind of breaking point to the point where um, we're... Because um, at the sta- at the stage, China wasn't necessarily playing much of a role in the protests in terms of like sending direct um, direct sort of things. There was all mm-hmm. generally being handled. The protesters were generally just being repressed by the Hong Kong um, police. Um, now the situation has escalated to a point where China is looking at some form of intervening into the affairs. Who and they have mobilized uh, and mobilized troops, uh, mobilizing troops. So that. The situation is getting quite intense, um, but the protests are still he- heating up. Um, especially, um, I guess that uh, I guess the kind of the political demands, I guess, are evolving into demanding at least some full kind of sovereignty for Hong Kong. In a sense, neither you know controlled by um, by the current the current Hong Kong administration or um, or the Chinese, um, and then. In, in terms of the Australian context, um, all flights are cancelled to Hong Kong apparently, so you can't fly to Hong mm. Kong right now because of um, how um, chaotic the situation is right now. But um, the Victorian Hong Kong Territory Student Association is a organising assembly with the Power to the People rally in Hong Kong, and that's actually going to be happening tonight at 7pm um, at the State Library. Um, so that's just happening tonight. 7pm the State Library. Um, if you definitely they uh, need you, all the support they can get. Yeah, if you support the Hong Kong protesters, I definitely recommend um, heading down um, heading down there tonight. Um, now, I guess um, just let me quickly play a few one quick announcement, and we might um, find one last story to sort of um, end the program on. I'm trying to just find an announcement to play. <laughs> I'll just play the jabber on embassy. Why not? They need all the help they can get as well. (laughs) Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japarung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japarung country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The cops are coming with eviction orders very soon. The campaign to protect country is led by Japarung traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japarung country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. Right, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, now, I guess one thing I just want to talk about is um, this was um, just only happened. This happened sort of in the past week. Mm-hmm. 
But the school um, strike for climate has recently updated its um, national demands um, to incorporate just transitions and job creation for communities impacted by the transition um, beyond um, fossil fuels. And, you know, they explain um, the reasoning for this um, as being that, you know, the fight for climate justice is inherently about people, First Nations people, workers, young people, all of us. And, of course, we know um, a recognition that the climate crisis is disproportionately impacting upon working class people, which is why it is so vital that all of us work together to forge solutions to this huge challenge. And the economic transformation ahead of us will not be easy, but the cost of inaction are too great not to get going now. And of course, as young people, we seek to work in solidarity with workers and unionists. Our fights are one and the same. And of course, this is why we have updated our national school strike demands to incorporate explicit support for workers in fossil fuel communities to fairly transition beyond fossil fuels. Now, this gives me a kind of good time just to talk um, briefly <coughs> um, that there is actually now a climate kind of activist trade union network um, kind of being established. Um, it actually had its first meeting um, on Tuesday, um, and they're looking to have more meetings on Tuesday night. Um, don't have a particular Facebook page to link it, but if you look, I think if you look at the Victorian Trades Hall website, there should be hopefully some links. Um, but basically, it is being initiated by some workers, and they're looking to try and see how they can build um, union support for the upcoming school strike on September the 20th, um, which is going to be shaken up to be quite big. In fact, a large number of unions have actually already endorsed the rally, uh, upcoming strike, um, but what remains to be seen is what is the level of mobilisation that they're going to be giving um, to the school strike on September the 20th. Now, um, guess we're getting into the end of our program. Um, I'd like to thank all our listeners and thank all our guests um, for um, making up the program, um, and I'll recommend that um, listeners can tune in next week for more um, radical news and the latest news. Absolutely, and stick around for Beyond Zero. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio, brought to you by the Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first. If you would like to subscribe to the newspaper and get it delivered to your door, you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1800 634 206. For new subscribers, it is only $10 for the first six issues. Repeats of the show and interviews are podcasts on our homepage on the 3CR website. Thank you for listening. You are tuned into 3CR Community Radio, 855 Digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. start sometime. What better place than here? What better time than now?
it's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative system. We'll keep you posted about the updates regarding that. Um, and also there will be uh, an Extinction Rebellion students and you.